Thanks for tuning in to the first Charlottesville Soundboard of 2021. I'm your host, Mary Garner McGee. Charlottesville Soundboard airs every other Saturday at 6 a.m. on WTJU 91.1 FM and also comes to you as a podcast that belongs to the Virginia Audio Collective. The year is barely two weeks old, and yet we already have so much to talk about. We're going to start with what City Councilor Michael Payne has called a leadership crisis in city government. After an avalanche of resignations, the city was able to announce a hire this week. Chip Boyles will take over as city manager on February 15th. We'll talk about that decision with Charlotte Renee Woods of Charlottesville tomorrow. And stay tuned for a conversation with a couple local artists about their recent zine. It's called Mala Leche, and it features work by a bunch of local artists. Well, it's Thursday, January 14th, only a few hours after City Council voted to appoint Chip Boyles as its next city manager. And I'm joined by Charlotte Renee Woods of Charlottesville Tomorrow to talk about it. So your editor and frequent guest on this very podcast, Elliot Robinson, recently tweeted, I'm kind of hoping another exasperated out-of-town journalist contacts me to ask who's in charge of Charlottesville, because I want to laugh maniacally until they hang up. (laughs) And I thought that was really funny. It made me laugh a lot. Um, But it's a serious question. Who is in charge of Charlottesville right now? As of today... Former executive director of Thomas Jefferson Planning District Commission, TJPDC, um, Chip Boyles was announced city manager. I know that there are a number of citizens that were looking for a different direction um, from as a city manager, but I'm trusting the city council and your commitment to the city to lead all of Charlottesville to a, a much brighter future. I hope that over time I will build the support of all of the community for all of us to work together to a more unified. Uh, community and Charlottesville. It definitely comes on the heels of over 15 hours of closed door meetings amongst councils, some recent infighting that spilled onto social media, and um, just, you know, the recent departure of the last deputy city manager that we had, which also comes with a wave of vacancies in key positions within city staff. And then our current interim city manager, um, John Blair, formerly the city attorney, also accepted a job offer to be the city attorney in Stanton. It was a lot happening in the last week and a lot happening here today. And this also comes at the same time of everything happening in the nation's capital. So, yeah, political news this week just did not have any ounce of chill in it at all. Seriously. Um, So we'll get into all of that in a little bit more detail. But can you kind of start off by reminding us what the role of the city manager is, um, especially in relation to council? So there's different types of city government structures in different towns across the U.S. And ours is the city manager style, which means I like to think of it as like legislative and executive branch. So city council is our Congress and city manager is our president. So city council, they have their ordinances, they have their resolutions. It's basic, it's their legislation, it's their policy vision and priorities. And then city staff under the helm of city manager helps execute it and bring it to fruition. So that's that's kind of how that works here. So uh, we do have a mayor, Nakaya Walker, but because we have a city manager style local government, she pr- really just is sort of like the chairperson on a board of supervisors. Like she presides over city council, conducts the meetings. And city council is supposed to be at least um, pretty part-time, but the city manager is like a full-time yeah. civil servant, right? They yeah. are doing all the behind-the-scenes logistics that 
don't get live streamed or it happen in council chambers. So you mentioned that the new city manager, Chip Boyles, is coming from the Thomas Jefferson Planning District. Um, what else can you tell us about his background and what we might expect from him as a city manager? He's a really jolly guy to talk to. Um, he has a lot of experience um, in city government already in Maryland, South Carolina, Louisiana. He has been an assistant or deputy city manager before. He's also been a city manager before. Um, and then he's been with the TJPDC for, I think, six or seven years um, as the executive director there. So he brings the experience of having worked in governments and around governments um, for many years and having been in Charlottesville for a very long time. So he's not exactly an internal candidate, but he's definitely someone who has a, a large amount of expertise, specifically with our area and planning coming out of his former job. Yes. So this announcement surprised at least me a little bit. I wasn't expecting council to make a decision quite this quickly. Why did they move forward with Mr. Boyles without the usual public hearings and long process? Um, they So they started the press conference today. Nakaya, Mayor Walker, got to it real quick about, okay, we recognize this is not the normal procedure. It's not going to be the status quo. We will address this further, especially at the upcoming city council meeting, which is going to be next Tuesday on the 19th. But uh, the general consensus from council is that because of the level of, quote, Michael, Councilor Michael Payne, leadership crisis in the city right now, between the number of vacancies that we have in city staff at key positions right now, um, the fact that we've had turnover and not been able to keep a city manager in an interim or permanent position for the last few years, and just the lack of stability in the city right now, and council acknowledged its own role within that today, they needed to right the ship and they needed to do what they could very quickly. That's what a lot of a huge portion of these behind closed door meetings have been discussing. What do we do about our top executive position in town? How do we fix this for now? You know, I'll keep saying the same thing just to make sure people get it. But we're not trying to set a precedent here with how council makes decisions. We understand that we were not elected to make decisions behind closed doors Um And so we want you all to just fully understand um, that. But at the same time, we took all the information that we had. And this is this is where where we ended up having to make this decision. And it doesn't help that the interim person, John Blair, who is the city attorney, it doesn't help that uh, he is leaving in a little under a month. Yeah, so that definitely spurred things up a bit because he's been holding down the fort since October and he was shopping jobs elsewhere. So they really needed to take action quickly. Um, And they do plan by 2022 to have a formal search where there is that community engagement every step of the way and total transparency, um, at which point Chip Boyles will be able to formally apply. And they noted that his experience as they won't call him interim, but he's basically interim right now, will definitely be considered in the job application, but he will be fielded amongst whatever other candidates end up presenting themselves when that time comes. We cannot have another interim manager. We need, we have too many vacancies. We need to empower someone to be a true city manager. And uh, when is Chip Boyle starting his position as our new city manager? February 15th. Soon. (laughs) Yes. 
So the process of determining the next city manager has been sort of tumultuous. Can you take us back to when the former city manager, Teron Richardson, left this fall and then sort of walk us through how council came to this decision to hire uh, Chip Boyles? Richardson resigned in September. The full reasons for why he left are probably still very hazy. And I personally this week reached out to him. I I was hoping to have a conversation on or off record or on background. But yeah, I don't know the full reasons why Dr. Richardson ended up resigning. But at the time of his resignation, he was talking about how, you know, the job really takes a toll on you. So Teron Richardson resigned, John Blair became the interim, and the city council hired a consulting firm to conduct a search. Why is it that council hired a consultant? Is this typical of city governments like ours? I think so. You know, it it can be. Um, I know that the, the goal in hiring a consultant was to conduct a national search. And when you're a local government and you have your day to day grind of all the things that you need to do to be an efficient local government, it's it definitely is almost a whole other job to seek out and recruit candidates. So yeah, that's why they did that. And that's why they're going to do it again when they're ready. Because right now it's basically Charlottesville city government has to fix some of its issues and it has to look presentable to prospective job candidates. You know, you want to be a good place of employment. You want to model that. You don't, you know, otherwise you're not going to attract the kind of candidate you want to receive. There's varying degrees from community members about how pleased they are, but the counselors are definitely pleased because they have been wanting to restabilize city government. And part of that is bringing in a city manager for now. And then Chip was telling me um, on the phone earlier, and he mentioned during the press conference that another big part of bringing that stabilization is going to be filling these vacancies, making sure to hire these key vacancies that are in city staff so that everything can run more efficiently and city staff that is there. They must be so overloaded right now. Everyone knows when you have less staff, but the amount of workflow doesn't change. It's going to drain you. Can you talk about some of the positions that the city is trying to fill? Yes. As of right now, um, city manager has Chip now put in it today, um, and he'll be starting very soon. But the city also needs to fill a human resources director. That is a um, term that's coming to a close soon. Human rights director, housing director, risk manager, all three deputy city managers as Letitia Shelton's last day is coming up um, on February 19th. One of those is a newly created position that is a deputy city manager, but their focus is race, equity, diversity, and inclusion. The city also needs a neighborhood development services director. Uh, We had a finalist recently accept the job before resigning and taking a job elsewhere in Prince William County. Um, And then also a police civilian review board director. So these are the main like key vacant positions that city manager is going to be working towards filling and hiring people um, in the months and weeks ahead. So based on the people that you've been talking to about this, what are their theories about why there are so many vacancies right now? I can't quite get into theories about why there's so many vacancies, but I there's a lot of layers to it. And it's, as council noted today during their conference, there's no, you can't really pin it on one person or one event or one thing. It, there are layers. It is a lot of things. Um, something that has come up in conversations with counselors, with community members, with staff. It's just, it would be too simple to pin all of it on Unite the Right and the fallout of that. 
Mayor Walker talks a lot on social media about the role that race plays in everything and racial healing and equity. There's obviously been some sparring between council members. There's been accusations of um, not clear boundaries between city staff, city manager and city council. Quote from Michael Payne when we were speaking, um, he was saying, that instability breeds more instability. So as you start seeing city staff members resigning or taking jobs elsewhere, existing staff starts to get really overworked or really uncomfortable about, well, it seems like there's not clear leadership right now between council or staff. And what do I do? I'm getting overwhelmed. It might start to seem tempting to leave again as well. So it just it just domino effects. So you've mentioned infighting a few times. It comes up in your articles. The counselors themselves have kind of brought up tensions. What is it that they're fighting about? The most recent thing is due to the suspension of the formal city manager search that they had launched. There were disagreements on the consulting firm that was chosen. And then that kind of trickled into social media posts between Councillor Snook and Mayor Walker. Councillor Snook had alleged that, and this was corroborated, I guess, by other councillors saying that the main reason or one of the main reasons that they were suspending the search with the consulting firm was that they did receive feedback from the consulting firm that things were too unstable to really attract a good quality city manager candidate at this moment because the whoever's coming into or considering that role wouldn't feel supported to carry out what they need to do to get their job done. And Snook was saying that there had been some email exchanges where I, I guess Mayor Walker had criticism of the selection of that firm and had requested that she didn't want to meet with um, the consultant individually, but only like with the rest of council as well. And then Mayor Walker had, you know, she responded on the comment thread saying that's not the full story. She brought up that particular consultant or firm, quote, dismisses of so many factors that we claim are important to us. Those include healing race relations, the impact, the lingering impact from Unite the Right rally, along with a statement that apparently the consultant um, insinuated that former city manager, Dr. Teron Richardson, was hired because he was Black and that race should not necessarily factor into the search for the next city manager. So those are the other many, many layers to why Council's had a lot of closed door meetings, has been doing a lot of introspection and also working on immediate solution of let's find a city manager as fast as we can for now. Let's talk about the closed door sessions a little bit. Um, Why has council been conducting so many of these meetings in closed session? Council, they needed to they really needed to work on a solution quickly. From what I gather and from conversations I've had, it was best to have this particular conversation privately. So that's what they decided to do. And I spoke with the executive director of a group called Virginia Coalition for Open Government. And they were telling me that this closed door, they're citing state code. It was perfectly legal. Part of it was discussing performance of city councilors um, on one of the days, but much of it was as it was publicly listed, discussions concerning the hiring or appointing of a city manager, um, as well as the contract of that. They wanted to get a city manager appointed sooner rather than later instead of going through the long drawn out process that does, you know, it does yield a lot of community engagement and much more transparency. And again, that's why I think Mayor Walker uh, reiterated, this is not how we're normally doing things. This is something that at this point and this time, then you add in all the other stressors going on, the ongoing coronavirus pandemic and the economic stressors that puts on (laughs) communities and local governments and their budgets. They felt it was best for now to do this this way. Okay, so on top of 
all of this, there are a few city council seats up for election this year. Who is running for re-election or for election to the city council? Back in February, which was like a million years ago before the pandemic hit, (laughs) Mayor Walker had announced her intentions to run for council again. And this is her second time being appointed as mayor. So if she wins her city council seat, she might continue on as mayor. She might become a counselor, just a regular counselor. So she's definitely declared I should check in with her and make sure that she still stands strong on that. Her seat is one of two that are up. And then the other seat is counselors Heather Hills, which she hasn't expressed yet. If she wants to run again, I will check in with her. So yeah, it's those two. And then earlier this week, in all the millions of political, local government, state, federal, everything that happened, school board member Juan Diego Wade announced that he is seeking a city council seat as well. Can you describe how the voting works here for our city council seats? So actually, it's kind of interesting because at the state level, Delegate Sally Hudson, who represents us, has been working on you know legislation for ranked choice voting, which it's a way to vote for your favorite candidate. But if your candidate doesn't win, you can also pick some other candidates you really like. And Charlottesville City Council's kind of sort of been doing that because all of our seats, they're not ward-based. It's not like a particular district within the city. It's the city at large. And so when you have, you know, three seats and six people running, people are not necessarily ranking, but they're filling in the three people that they want out of the six that are running. What are some of the best ways for people to keep up with what's going on in city government? Um, during this time where a lot's changing fast. Obviously, read Charlottesville tomorrow and read Charlotte's (laughs) articles. His number one. (laughs) Yes. Um, So, yeah, government meetings, they stream them. You can find, if you follow Charlottesville on Twitter and Facebook, they stream on those um, social media pages. They broadcast on Channel 10 if you have cable. And then also... A lot of it right now, because of the pandemic, everything's happening over Zoom. So if you're able to register in advance, you go to the Charlottesville's government website, you'll be able to find the link and you can register and you can watch. And then if you're a member of the public, you can raise your hand during public comment session um, virtually and be able to speak for or against something or say whatever's on your mind. I did that just this very day. All you have to do is Google Charlottesville City Council and follow a couple links. Yes. Well, thank you so much for talking to us, Charlotte. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me, and you're welcome. It's been fun watching this all unfold, and just I got into journalism because I really love like constructive solutions journalism, so watching a local government constructively like work on itself is actually really neat to witness. Charlotte Renee Woods is a reporter for Charlottesville Tomorrow. You're listening to Charlottesville Soundboard here on WTJU 91.1 FM and the Virginia Audio Collective. Both are a service of the University of Virginia. However, opinions expressed on this show are not the positions of the university. WTJU is supported by the Southern Environmental Law Center, protecting Virginia's air, water, and natural treasures, and leading the way towards a healthy environment for all. Learn more at southernenvironment.org. I'm going to turn it over now to our assistant producer, Sarah Howarth. She talked with two of the artists behind Mala Leche. My name is Ramona Martinez. My pronouns are she, her. I am the co-director of the Feminist Union of Seville Creatives with my collaborator, Sri Kodakala. And I am an artist and 
former radio producer and a writer. And I think that's pretty much it these days. I'm Sri Kodakala. My pronouns are she, her, they, theirs. I am an artist and writer who has a studio based in McGuffey Art Center. Mala Leche is a quarterly radical art zine that features the work of women identifying non-binary and genderqueer artists from Central Virginia. And Mala Leche is a zine that is produced by The Bridge through Rad Press, and it is also produced by the Feminist Union of Seabell Creatives. Yeah, and Mala Leche came about sort of as a response to something that we really wanted to see in the community, which was a way for artists and writers to share their work and ideas like on a more regular basis and also in a way that was outside of the gallery walls, like something that people could have in their hands and take home with them and own this piece of art, for lack of a better word, without having to pay anything for it. Although we do have an amazing art scene here with lots of free art, thank God, available for people to see. It's sometimes hard to break into that scene. And so what's really cool about Mala Leche is that it gives artists and writers an opportunity to share their work with a wider audience without necessarily needing to have to go through the process of applying to shows. I love the accessibility of that as well. And how did you decide on a name for the zine? Does it have a personal meaning for you both? So Mala Leche as a zine name I heard my roommate say it actually is how I came to hear about Malaleche. She's from Venezuela and she speaks fluent Spanish. And so we're speaking a lot more Spanish in my house these days than I was before we lived together. And Malaleche is something that she said when she didn't trust somebody who had come into our lives. And she was saying, oh, Malaleche, they have bad milk. You can't trust them. I really loved how that sounded. It sounded very punk rock and it sounded also brown and kind of like, oh, we're on to you, you and your bad milk. So I think that's sort of the spirit that we wanted to have with the zine was to sort of announce that we are not under any false pretensions that the milk is is good for us. Yeah, I'm totally like on board with Malaleche and I've actually like grown to love it more and more. It's crazy because like, I think for me, my like first association with Malaleche was just this idea of like being outside of the status quo, like just creating this space to have discourse about the things that society is feeding us, but that we all know is super messed up. Like we're seeing these things happen around us, yet we're all supposed to believe that it's okay. And this space kind of creates this area for like being disillusioned and talking about that disillusionment. That's really well said. And I love the story behind the name too. That's really cool. What was your inspiration for starting the zine? Do you have any artistic influences that played a role in it? Well, it was something that I had been talking about with Sri and some of my other colleagues and friends about for a while. And when the COVID-19 pandemic started in the spring, we were like, this is exactly what we need to do to be able to stay in touch and also create meaningful work that will not only enrich our lives, but also hopefully enrich like other people's lives while we can't get together and make work and create and share our work in the ways that we used to. I think for me, I really wanted to make something that reflected sort of the spirit and ethos of like the 90s zine culture, which was like sort of, you know, this free DIY grassroots assembled 
statement of identity and expression, but also to like anarchist magazines from the turn of the century. It's like this period where people really appreciated poetry and art that spoke to their real lives and what was sort of going on in a rapidly changing world. I'm going to switch gears just a little bit and ask you guys more of a personal question about your own art and artistic journeys. What about your own interests in art and literature and how did you kind of start your personal artistic journeys or spark your own interests in art? That is a super great question. And part of me is just like, wow, have I ever like put it into words before, (laughs) like in one concise statement before? Honestly, I feel like my art journey has been ever-changing and I'm kind of okay with that. Like for me, it started out as a place for me to process emotions that what everybody says of like this place to express yourself, but you don't actually intend to share it with anyone yet. And it turned out that as I started sharing my experience that other people were like, this is super relatable. You're being incredibly vulnerable, but it's also something that I've already felt and you've created either imagery or shared poetry that's expressing things that people were like, I didn't know how to say that before. And I think for me, the themes might change. I might be talking about a different situation. It might be political. It might be more spiritual. It might be exploring like my own growth or processing like trauma. But wherever it goes, I feel like all of it is about authenticity and just like sharing who I am and what that truth is, regardless of the moment. And as just a little bit of context, like I consider myself to be a mixed media artist, just a grab bag of like printmaking, fiber art, poetry, sometimes all of them together in one thing. And I think that's kind of what makes art so great for me is just like, it is super versatile. And there are so many different ways to express yourself. It doesn't have to be in one medium. And I think that's where like coming to Malaleche has been such a cool thing is because I've gotten to express art in a different way that isn't necessarily making stuff for a gallery because that's kind of what I've been used to. I'm really glad that we had the opportunity to have this conversation because Esri said she's not sure if she ever had an opportunity to express that, but it was such a delight hearing you talk about your own work, Sri, that way. So I am, as a visual artist, primarily a printmaker these days, and I started out drawing. I decided about five or six years ago that I was going to teach myself to draw because I knew that, you know, like anything else, if you practice and you're dedicated to it, like you will learn how to draw. But what's cool is being self-taught too, like I really got to preserve my own style, you know, and spent a lot of time drawing strangers in coffee shops and restaurants. And now I think my art practice is really centered around using iconography from the Catholic Church. Right now, primarily as a printmaker, I think what I'm interested in doing is making art that speaks to our current situation, but doing it in a way that everything is communicated. And like, I like making art that's a little bit edgy and working primarily with printmaking, which is such a historically radical medium. And also like with my interest in Catholic iconography and sort of the tradition of Catholic art being used to change hearts and minds, to inspire devotion, to inspire a spirituality. I guess like a revolutionary spirituality is sort of like what I want to create with my art and inspire that in people. So yeah, these are all like very lofty things. But ultimately, I think what's really cool about working as an artist with other people is that I can take my icons that are like 
really radical in nature and have it next to someone else's work that's about motherhood that's like also equally radical and combining all of our shared interests we create this really beautiful multi-dimensional thing to share with our community are there any artists you would like to include in the zine that haven't been a part of it yet i don't think it's like a specific person necessarily we want everyone who's interested in being a part of it to submit work And I think with this last call, you know, we opened it up to basically anybody in the whole country who wanted to apply. I think we got some, you know, Charlottesville adjacent people, like from people who had friends here. What do you think, Sri? Who do you want to submit to Malaleche? I mean, I totally agree with you. At first I was like, is there a specific person? But the thing is, is when we put out these call for submissions, I'm always so surprised by what people submit and what they make. And I think... I wouldn't ever want to guide that process and have a specific person like to fill the niche of what we're expecting. I like this idea of just getting surprised by someone fulfilling a theme in a way that I never expected. And I think that's kind of part of what makes Mala Leche great is because if I knew what vision we were expecting, we wouldn't be having this zine in the first place. Like this zine is for us to envision something new And everybody's got such a different perspective on it. And I think that's kind of something great to look forward to when we do these call for submissions. With that being said, with the diversity of the submissions, has there been a piece in Mala Leche that has really stood out to you both so far? And why did it feel so special to you? Well, I feel like we're both probably thinking about Allison's work. So Allison Profeta has a work called Things Nobody Told Me About Motherhood. And it is black and white. And the actual physical work that she sent us is hand embroidered prose on a diaper from her kid. And it's this like beautiful prose work written about like grieving the loss of the person that you were before motherhood. But then also like potentially that person that you're grieving is someone that you never had the opportunity to be. So it's kind of like thinking about the alternate dimension of what you could have been had your life not gone this route toward motherhood. And also like a sense of completeness in motherhood, but acknowledging the fact that things could have been different. Do you have more to add to that one, Ramona? No, I think you said it perfectly. It definitely is something that I will think about I mean, it's so cool to have a submission where you're like, I'm literally going to think about this the rest of my life. Like, you know, as someone who's not a mother, that piece made me go, whoa, you know, that's hardcore. That is honestly so beautiful. I read the submission, actually, because I was having pieces of the zine sent over to me, but I had no idea that it could have been hand embroidery on a diaper from her child, which is, it was already amazing to read, but it just makes it that much more so. But what do you think the zine's message is? What can community members kind of glean from reading it? One of the things that I really love about Malaleche and that I think is what makes it super different from anything that I've seen, especially in Charlottesville, is that we're not trying to present some sort of unified vision of what the world is going to look like. It's a chance to express what could be and where we could go. And how varied in vision we are as artists, as writers, as people submitting different kinds of perspectives into this zine and kind of like creating a space where all of those visions could exist at once, that we don't have to be limited in our creativity of what the world can be. 
I think that's so beautiful and true. And I also think Sri has put it beautifully in the past that Malaleche is an assertion of self, an assertion of our ancestors, of who we are, all of the things that we each have to offer to this world and to our community. And it is so beautiful to see how varied and collective that Malaleche ended up being. Malaleche seems to be so unique and special. So honestly, this last question I have for you both might not even apply, but do you know of any zines like Malaleche that exist in the Charlottesville community or surrounding communities? I know Crescientos Juntos is doing a zine of writing from some of the students who took poetry workshop. I'm pretty sure it's out already. So I'm looking forward to reading that. I think it's really exciting that Rad Press was founded like through the bridge. The newsstands out in front of the bridge building like have a bunch of zines and posters and material related to everything from magic to immigrant rights, all of these things. So I think that there hopefully will be more zines that come out of that publication. And I know that Sri and I definitely would love it. We don't want Malaleche to be the only thing like it in Charlottesville. We want more people to start zines. That would be super exciting. Is there anything else either of you would like to add before we wrap up? Our first issue's out, and we're hoping to release a call for submissions at the end of this month. So we're looking for writers and artists. And this time around, our call for submissions will be based on a theme. And it is actually going to be curated by a different artist. So while Ramona and I will be facilitating it, it will be curated by Misha Goldberg, who is a poet and an artist who participated in our previous issue. Thank you so much for having us on um, to talk about Malaleche with you. We're just so proud of it and so excited for all that is yet to come. That segment was produced by Sarah Haworth. You can pick up your own copy of Mala Leche from the newsstand outside the Bridge Progressive Arts Initiative. You can also read a copy and keep an eye out for information about submitting to future projects on their website, heyfucc.com. That's H-E-Y-F-U-C-C.com. Well, that does it for this week's edition of Charlottesville Soundboard your source for news, culture, and community issues in Central Virginia. My name's Mary Garner-McGee, and our assistant producer this week is Sarah Haworth. Our theme song is Kyoja Beat by Moreno Lasco and Jay Pun. This is Soundboard. <laughs>